Hello, my name's Claire, if you don't know. Um, I used to be part of the Woodwork here and uh, now one of the missional community leaders here. And uh, we've made it to the end of James, everybody. Well done. Uh, some of you are memorising James. Keep going. Looking forward to testing you on Easter Sunday in front of 300 people. Joking. Uh, well done for keep going. But we've been uh, looking since uh, about Christmas at the book of James and what a ride it has been. I think one of my favourite moments was when we had Brian and Margaret having a fight being faith and works. Do you remember that? That was great. Uh, it's been a challenging series where Simon's been putting question after question for us to discuss and to think. It's been an exciting series and one where there's been a number of revelations like the fact that Simon Harris is not perfect and sometimes gets it wrong. Who was here last week? He said, women only need one robe. Wrong. What he was saying was women only need one robe for every day of the month. If he'd put that bit in, he would have been right. So just uh, correcting his mistake last week. I am kidding. It was a brilliant sermon. Don't tweet that. Right. We're here at chapter five. You can tweet, but only tweet holy stuff. Okay? That's fine. Right. We're at chapter 5, and we've hit a sermon which I know will uh, be fun for all of us. It says, do I have to pray out loud? Good. It's going to go well. You're not even speaking to me now, so what are you going to be like at the end? And unsurprisingly, the last bit of James is very practical. It's facing one of those kind of everyday issues that us as Christians face. He's thinking about two things, patience and prayer. And unsurprisingly, like he has all the way through, James is being very practical. He's talking about a faith that works. Not airy-fairy stuff, but actually he's saying, this is how we live as Christians. If you are serious about being a disciple, then do this. And so as we get stuck into these last verses, unsurprisingly, we are going to be doing some practical, so I hope you're with me. Let's keep going. You'll find it really useful to have your Bibles open. So if you can turn to James chapter 5, we're starting at verse 7. And we're going to be thinking very seriously about these last bits, because these are James's passing uh, final words to us. So let's just pray really quickly and ask God to ground what we're doing. Lord, we are here with our ears open, our hearts ready to hear from you. Thank you for all that you have said to us through this series. But as we finish, may we go and put these things into practice. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers too. So speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So James begins by talking about a practical patience. Now, some very expensive research was done to discover uh, what patience really was, and it concluded two very important things. I think the research cost something like two billion pounds, concluded two things. Number one, there are some people who are not very patient. Number two, there are some people who are very good at being patient. Two billion pounds, I'll give it to you as free. I wonder where you sit. I hate queuing. I hate queuing most of all for a coffee. I need the coffee now. 
I hate waiting for the kettle to boil because I need the coffee now. And I definitely hate waiting in a queue to buy chocolate. Where do you sit? Some of you are actually really good at waiting. But what does James have to say? In verses 7 to 12, it comments about patience seven times. Now, those of you with NIVs in your hand will go, it only says it six. You're all counting. You can see. But actually, the Greek root, those of you who are brighter than me, tell me that the word steadfastness is almost the same as patience. And so here in this passage, it mentions the word be patient or be steadfast in spirit seven times, one for every day of the week, just in case you forget. Let's have a look at a couple of them. The first one is uh, this one. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer of the land uh, waits for the rain, basically. And the spring and the autumn rains were much waited for uh, in the places that James lived. They were talking about waiting for rain, because if the rain didn't come, then the crops didn't thrive, and then they were hungry. And apparently it was a bit of a kind of chicken game because they could use their much-saved water to feed the crops. But actually, if they waited, then they could save their water for other things. So the farmer had to be very patient. James is saying, be like that. Learn to be patient and to wait just for the right time. Verse 8 says, be patient and stand firm. And verse 10, think about the prophets. Those prophets endured suffering and waited patiently for God to act. By the end of verse 7, we cannot doubt what, God, uh, what James is saying to his readers. Friends, the Christian walk is about learning the life skill of patience. It's about learning the life skill of patience. For those of us who don't like waiting... We have to develop a patient and steadfast spirit. It's a discipleship tool to be a follower of Jesus. It's unsurprising that he ends this way. If you remember right back in January when we we were reading chapter 1, he talks a lot about patience and perseverance being part of the Christian walk. James is almost using this as a theme throughout his passage. So time for you to talk. What are you having to be patient about at the moment? What are you waiting on God for? Got a lovely person sat next to you. Have a moment. And why don't you share something that you're being patient about at the moment? Go for it. Okay. You've stopped chatting. So that probably means you're done. We're going to spell patiently wrong in every single slide, just so you know. So that's good. What are you waiting patiently on God for at this time? We're going to sing a song right at the end that we've sung a lot. God is working in our waiting. What are you waiting on God for at the moment? But fortunately, James doesn't end there. He doesn't say, just be patient, chaps, and everything will be all right. He gets really, really practical. And so how on earth do we wait patiently? How do we wait patiently on God for what is going on? He's really practical. He says, he says, the only positive way forward in situations requiring patience is the way of prayer. 
That summarizes the next bit. The only way that you can be patient in your waiting on God is to pray. I'm not just going to ask you to be patient in theory. Here's some practical stuff. Get praying. Get praying. So, very quickly, look at your Bible. How many times does the word prayer get mentioned in this last bit? If you're quick, you might guess. Who said seven? Sandra said seven. She's intelligent. It's mentioned seven times, one for every day of the... So for every patient or steadfast that's in the first bit, it mentions prayer in the second part. Be patient by praying. Be patient by praying. Be patient by praying. I could do it seven times, but I'd run out of breath. Be patient by praying. It's mentioned seven times. Prayer and patience are linked. In fact, they're they're linked all the way through, James, if we look back. But here it is clearly saying, as you wait on God, develop your prayer life. Develop your prayer life. So that's how we wait patiently. God is working in our waiting. And he goes on quite clearly to talk about how we wait patiently. Let's have a look. How do we wait patiently? The slides are now struggling. How do we pray? If you could uh, look at verse 13, uh, it says um, in the NIV, is if anyone among you in trouble let them pray. If is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. Two words here that James is using, troubles or sufferings, happy uh, or joyful in some translations, that basically summarize life in James's word. You see, the word suffering or troubles means all kinds of bad situations. In fact, in the Greek, I love it, it means all kinds of bad stuff. All kinds of bad stuff. The root of that is used right through the Bible. In the Old Testament, for example, it's used when Jeremiah is experiencing opposition to the word of God that he is preaching. So he's preaching about God's uh, restoration and people opposed him. And the word trouble that is used here is used in the same in the Hebrew. And it's used when Hosea's marriage is talked about. When Hosea was having marital breakdown, it's used to use that. When Ezekiel was facing bereavement, the same root is used there. This root, trouble or suffering, is right through Scripture, even when Jesus was on a cross. The same root is used. So it's used to cover all kinds of bad situations. But fortunately, the next line is all about being happy. Uh, But it's not about an absence of trouble in any way. It's about being in good heart. I don't know if you've ever had a day that's gone exactly to plan. I certainly haven't. So it's not about having an absence of trouble, but it's about the state of our heart. Are you in good heart at the moment? I hope so. Some of us are. Some of us might relate more to the first one. So in two small words, James is summarizing every eventuality of life. He's saying it's not necessarily a trouble-free life that we're going to live, but actually there's a solution to this. That is to pray, pray, and pray. 
Obviously, I'm a good Calvinist, and therefore uh, enjoy what he says. And he says this, James means here that there is no time in life that God does not invite us to himself. There is no time in life that God doesn't want us to come to him in prayer. There is nothing that can stop us from coming to God in prayer. God's arms are always open. God's ears are always listening. God's heart is always for us. God's Father love is always present. When life is good, celebrate with the God who knows how to party. When life is hard, go to him because he has endured the deepest of pain. God's arms and ears are always open to us. There is nothing in life that shouldn't stop us from praying. I was sat with uh, my kids and various other people over there, one of which uh, first day in church. And uh, she said, when Heather asked what you want to thank God for, she said that God listens to me. And she'd picked that up from school this week. And I thought, yes, if that summarizes what A, our school should be doing, and B, what this sermon is about, God's ears are always open to hear our prayers and petitions. When life is good, when life is bad, there is no moment in life where God does not hear and God is not at work. Not only is God's arms open, but by us praying, we are reminding ourselves that God is sovereign. This patient thing is really hard. When we're waiting for something to happen, it's easy to try and fix it ourselves. Think of Abraham. He was promised that he would have a child, but he was getting old. Sarah was even older. He had to wait for God to act. He didn't wait. He mucked up. He didn't wait on God And he tried to fix it himself. How many of us have tried to fix it ourselves? Oh, good. A few honest people in the room. Brilliant. We're not good at waiting. But by praying when we are waiting, we are saying very clearly, God, you are sovereign. You are in control. I have to remind myself by praying that God is in control. I put him as king and I trust him to pray and to praise helps us to acknowledge his sovereign power and to also acknowledge that he is the source of the supply of our need. So by praying, we recognize truly who God is and truly who we are. We are flowers in a field like Heather reminded of us. But actually, it is God who supplies for all of our needs. And when we, we pray, we acknowledge our need for God, that only he is enough, and that only he can satisfy, and that only he is the one who will sort this pickle we're in out, or this problem, or this solution. So we come to the tricky bit. Do I have to pray out loud? And this passage is less about the how, but much more about the who 
with. There's lots of details about how, some of which would be cultural that they would do there, some of which we can take and use ourselves, like anointing people with oil and various other things. But actually, this passage is much more about the who. Prayer needs to happen in community. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. Thirteen years of working in this church uh, opened my eyes to the fact that praying in community is quite hard for some of us. We go, I haven't got anything wise enough or beautiful enough to say in a prayer meeting. Or actually, I feel scared to use my voice. There's sometimes when I've sat praying in groups and it's like, oh, Claire's speaking again. <sighs> it's sometimes really hard to pray in community. And there is a place for quiet reflection. And there is a place for private prayer. And there is a personality type that perhaps suits better not speaking out loud. But I don't think we can escape what is being said here. Pray, pray, and pray, and pray with others. Pray with those who are on this Christian walk with you. Pray with those who love you. Pray with those who God has placed you with. Pray, 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 and pray together. If you're ill, get someone to come and pray with you. Confess your sins to one another. We'll talk about those things in a minute. This passage has lots of detail, but overall it's saying, friends... Pray for one another. Pray together. Pray in community. And when you do, it's a lot more fun. But also it helps you in your patient waiting. It helps you as you pray and wait on God. It helps others as you pray powerful prayers over them. Let's see uh, what James says here in a little bit more detail. So he talks about two things here. He talks about when you're ill, and he talks about our sin. We're going to look at both. One's actually slightly more comfortable than the other. I'll leave you to guess which. Let's talk about the easy one first. Praying when we are sick. Now, we're all very good at the stiff upper lip. How are you? Fine. You know the etiquette. We're very good at this. And we struggle, perhaps, with telling people beyond the word fine. Actually, two weeks ago, three out of the four of us in our house were on antibiotics. It was not much fun. And the fourth person, i.e. Rich, had a virus, but had to look after the rest of us because he wasn't dying as much as us. Have you ever been there? He's like the only one not vomiting, so he has to help. He really should have been in bed too. But we came to church the Sunday after, and someone said, How are you? Fine. Fine. Really, we're fine. Everyone's good. We haven't slept for six nights, but that's okay. We're fine. We're really good at the fine. But this passage cuts into that and says, actually, if you're sick, tell someone else. Get them round to pray. Become open. Become honest. And ask them to pray for healing for you. Ask them to pray for healing. Now, that's not easy. Fortunately, 
I had already started reading this passage whilst having tonsillitis in preparation for this, and I did say, friends in my missional community, we need you to pray. We're all, we're all, we're all ill. It's awful. And they did. But actually, even that was hard to ask. And these are friends, family. This is people who are close. We needed to say, will you pray for us? Why do we find it so hard? Very quickly, the person next to you, why do we find it hard to ask for praying for healing? Your answer could be, I don't, so that's fine. But actually, why do we find it hard? Go. Okay, I have two reasons. You might have had another thousand. I think the first one, it's hard to share how we really are, especially perhaps on a Sunday, you know, you're going for a coffee, and how are you? And someone bursts into tears. It's quite hard because you think, I'm on a coffee. I was on my way. Hello? It is hard to share how we really are, but also it's really hard when we pray for someone and they're not healed. How many people have I prayed for over the years in true faith and they haven't been healed? I'm sure you had a whole load of other reasons, but just think about these two for a second. We need to get better at sharing how we really are. We need to, in our lives, create space and families around us, communities around us, where it's really easy to share how we really are. We need to be in a relationship with the people that God has placed in our lives so that actually, when they say, how are you, and you say, fine, they know you're lying. But also, we need to face our issue of what happens if somebody isn't healed, even if we prayed for them. There's no coincidence why this passage is next to one on patience. On patience. Some of us may not be healed until we meet Jesus face to face. That is true. But God is working in our waiting. God is teaching us stuff as we patiently pray. Some of us will be healed before we see Jesus face to face. Hallelujah, someone, anyone. I was reading a a book by Robbie Dawkins, and he's a great guy for praying for healing. He was speaking at Soul Survivor last year, and he tells the story of when they moved to a new neighborhood in the States, and uh, all of his family had young kids at the time, got sick together, And all of them were vomiting, and all of them did not know what to do. So they bundled in a car, which sounds a bad idea to me if all of you are vomiting. Anyway, and they drove to the nearest pharmacy. On the way, though, the mum stopped the car and said, Satan, I've had enough of this sickness. And she says, in the book, I put my mummy voice on and said, enough. Jesus is Lord of our family. Instantly, everybody stopped vomiting. The kids started fighting with each other, and she knew everyone was fine then. She drove home again, and the next week was fine. Nobody was sick, no problems at all. She prayed for healing and said, God is sovereign in our lives, and instantly it happened. God can do that today, and this passage reminds us of that. It says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Elijah prayed for the rain to stop, and it did. And he prayed for it to start again, and it did. We have to recapture the fact that, yes, God is working in our waiting. Yes, some people are not healed in our eyes. But some people are. And we need to pray like we believe that. We need to pray, believing Isaiah's message, 
that by his wounds we are healed. Let's quickly look at the second one, which is obviously way more comfortable. Confessing our sins to one another. A nervous giggle. A nervous giggle. Confessing our sin. This is a a challenging one for us all. Confess your sins to one another. Why on earth does James say this is important to do? I have asked myself this question many times. Surely we confess our sins to God and he forgives us. Yes, that is completely and utterly true. We are not going to be setting a little kind of box up in the corner where Simon sits one side and we all traipse in before Easter Sunday and confess our sins. Simon thinks that would be funny. What do you think? He's looking like that's a plan. You think we should do it? Nancy's up for it. She wants to be on one side, though, listening to... No, she's up for it. She's up for it. She's happy to confess her sins. Good, because we're going to do it in a minute. So, why should we confess our sins to one another? I have two things for you. There are many others. Unspoken sin holds power. Confessed sin unlocks forgiveness. If you're tweeting, you might want to tweet that. That's good. It's mine. Put my name next to it. Unspoken sin holds power. Confessed sin unlocks forgiveness. But even more than that, as we confess our sins to one another, accountable relationships around us help us to walk away from sinful habits. It's easy to confess sin once, but then if you do it again tomorrow and you have to confess it again and then tomorrow and tomorrow, that's not discipleship. That's not patiently waiting on God for transformation in our lives. We need people around us who know us so well that they can hold us accountable as we walk out this faith. And I know many of us in this church have found this to be true, that as we share our sin with one another, not only does that sin hold no more power because it's not being held in the dark anymore, hallelujah, it also means that those around us can say, how are you doing with that? How can I support you? What can I pray for you in? It's not an easy place. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying you will see huge transformation in your life. You will see becoming more like Jesus as a possibility. You will see the things that held us back, the sin in our lives, be confessed and be healed and no longer hold us. I want that in my life. And do you know what? If that means I have to get to know some people well enough to feel comfortable to share my sin with them, then I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. I could talk for hours about the detail of all of this. The last bit of the uh, passage talks about those that perhaps wander away from the faith. I'm not going to have time to share much about that. But again, it talks about it being a community thing to bring them back to find Jesus and wholeness. It's about community. It's not so much about the what's and the how's. It's about the who with. And so I guess the question is, who is in your life that you would ask to pray for, for healing? Who would you confess your sin for? 
What is God saying to you in that? Talked about the fact that uh, we're going to give it a go. Sorry. But we can't just be hearers of the word. If we've learned anything, we have to put this into practice. This is a faith that works. And if we're supposed to be praying for one another in community, then where better to begin than with those of us here today? We're going to come to communion in just a moment. And let's think for a moment about what communion is. It's about recognizing who's sovereign, God. It's about recognizing that he endured our pain on the cross and that he loves us. It's about confessing our sin. And it's about recognizing that those prophecies in Isaiah that say, by your stripes, I am healed. By your wounds, I am healed. Well, there's no better moment for us than now to start praying for these things together. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song, Jesus, You Endured My Pain, as we prepare ourselves for communion. And then I am going to encourage us to very bravely confess our sins to one another. That could be a simple prayer that just says, I am sorry for all the things I have done wrong. We can all pray that prayer. It might be that the person next to you you feel more comfortable with and you can confess uh, sins more intimately. We are going to pray together throughout our communion for those who need physical healing and perhaps emotional healing too. And we are going to gather around the table as a family, in community, to recognize that God is working in our waiting and he's working in our praying and that he is Lord of all. So let's stand together and uh, prepare ourselves to coming to communion by singing, Jesus, you endured my pain.